John chapter 17. We're going to read the first um, three verses. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, starts like this. Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to Jesus, or his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may be uh, may glorify you. Even as you give him authority over all flesh, that to all whom he has given him, he may give eternal life life. This is eternal life. And this is our text. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you again, Lord, as we break open your word, Lord, and, and endeavor to learn of you. Lord, I ask that you open our hearts, Lord, that you open our minds, that you give us ears to hear, Lord, that you speak to us through this study, O oh God. Uh, this is the intro to what will be your attributes, your characteristics, Lord. And, and as we look at those, we ask that you uh, illumine those places that, that we don't know, Lord, that you strengthen those places that we do know of you. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So John chapter 17, we know or you should know as a Christian, that is a place that we go for immense hope. That is Christ praying his high priestly prayer for his apostles. But then he makes that pivotal shift and he says, not just for those, not just for the ones that I can see, but for all who will come. Uh, this prayer was for them too. And he starts it off by asking his father to glorify him. He knew his hour was upon him. This is, this is just hours before the cross and his time was here. He stands and tells Pilate, for this reason I have come. And he's asking his father, glorify me so that I may glorify you, right? He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. So he's talking in third person, but he's speaking of himself that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh. That to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That's a pretty good statement, right? For all who the father has given the son, the son says, I'm going to give eternal life. So what does that mean, right? If we had a definition for eternal life, what is eternal life? That's a pretty important uh, position to hold. If I have eternal life, I need to know what that eternal life is. But God doesn't leave it a mystery. We can just continue to read verse 3, which is our text throughout this, this study. The reason why we do studies like this, verse 3 says, this is eternal life. So Jesus just said he's going to give eternal life, and now he's about to answer almost as he anticipates his apostles saying, what, what is eternal life? Right? He answers the question before it is a question. This is eternal life that they may know you, Father, right? The only true God and Jesus Christ whom 
you have sent. So what is eternal life? It is to know God. If you have eternal life tonight, it is because at one point in your life, you knew God and God knew you and it was made manifest in your life. There was a relationship that was birthed and from that relationship to today and from today into the future and on for the rest of eternity, we gain in knowledge of this relationship of our Father. I know more about God today than I did 10 years ago, right? And we could say the same thing, each one of us. I endeavor, my hope, my faith lies in the fact that 10 years from now, God willing, I'm going to know more of Him, right? So our introduction tonight, we're not going to name the attributes. That'll come uh, next week when we start. But I wanted to look at the attributes as a whole and break them apart into two sections, okay? Because there are those attributes that are God's and God's alone. We call those the incommunable attributes or the attributes that cannot be communicated by me and the communable attributes, which is God's characteristics. But since we're in the image of him, we show forth those characteristics, not in totality, not as God shows. So, for instance, God is love, right? That's what the Bible says. We can show love, but not like God can show love, right? God is life. I'm, I'm breathing. I am living, but I am not living nearly as what God is, okay? That's communicable. We can love. We can show compassion. We can show mercy. All of these characteristics, although we do it imperfectly, since we are created in his image, some of his characteristics are sown forth through his creation. And then there's those characteristics that are God's and God's alone, which is those omni characteristics, right? He is everywhere at once. He's omnipresent. I wish sometimes I need to be two places at once, but I can't be, right? And and that's just a characteristic that we don't have. We are mortal creatures. We're stuck in a time. We're stuck in a place. We're in this area, and I can't be anywhere else. I don't know everything, right? But God does. So you start to see the differences in characteristics. We're going to see through this study that God is above us, okay? Everything flows from him and through us, right? Remember last week's um, Lord, it feels like it's been forever ago. Was that last week, James? Yeah, that was last week in James. The Father of Lights, all good things come from the Father of Lights, right? So all of these characteristics, if you love tonight, that's because God has made you in His image. And some of these characteristics are just what we call common grace, right? You don't have to be saved to show compassion. There are merciful sinners in this world, right? It's not going to help them in, in eternity. It's not going to gain them eternal life. But through the common grace of our God creator, humankind has characteristics that are associated with him, right? We only come into the knowledge of this. There's a, there's a lot of 
answers, right? Philosophy professors, they have a lot of answers for where, why humans love, right? And it, it varies from the most out of the world kind of things to it's just a chemical balance or imbalance that makes you more akin to somebody or somebody else where the word of God tells us we love because God loves, right? We show mercy because God is merciful and we just are reflections of these attributes. There's some that are communicable and there's some that are not communicated through us. And this shows us that as much as we are images of God, we're not God, right? There is a difference. And when I love, I love imperfectly. I don't love rightly. With all that we know of God, there, there is a countless, immense vastness that, that we're just not going to know this side of glory. Okay, We are merely going to scratch the surface at what we can know. But if you was really to sit down and think about what you could actually handle, like if God was to give him, give you all of himself, would you be able to handle the full knowledge of God? No, absolutely not. You know, people, when they have experiences, you can look through the word of God. All they did was see angels and they fell down as dead men. Could you imagine just a a download of information so intense, so consuming that you just knew God? Our bodies can't handle that, right? God understands this because he's the creator and he has given us what we can handle, right? So that's what we're going to look at. There's a lot that we won't know, and there's more that we will learn, but we won't learn this side of glory. So why then do we look at a topic such as this, such as the attributes, the character traits of God? Well, because the word says by learning or knowing God, we come to have eternal life, okay? That's our main text. That's John 17 and 3. Go ahead and bookmark it because until we finish this, we're going we're gonna to at least read that once. We're going to start from there because that is the reason why we endeavor to learn of our God because I want eternal life, right? I want to be secure in my eternity. And the only way that we are secure is that we know God and his characteristics. And when we start to understand that God is love, right? Then I can be all that more secure and to know that he loved me before I even loved him, right? Whenever we look at God's mercy and what that means, and these are characteristics, we say characteristics, but they're characteristics for us. This is who God is. His attributes is what what we're talking about, is who God is. Is He is love. He doesn't have the characteristic of love, right? He is mercy. He doesn't have the characteristic of mercy. And we're, when He is wrath. He doesn't have the characteristic of wrath, right? These are what makes God God, and it flows from Him down into us where we can have a characteristic or a image, a mirror image of what God is. That blows my mind, <laughs> To be able to sit, you can look at yourself and and you are an image of God tonight. 
everything good in your life, every good characteristic, everything that makes you a quote-unquote good person, right, in our eyes, comes from God. didn't come from within. It has flowed down and through, right? That's why we do this. So let's look first at the uh, incommunicable attributes or the, the attributes that are God's and God's alone. These attributes uh, refer to the character traits of God that has uh, he's revealed to us in Scripture. The mystery of God is triune, right? The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's webbed to the conviction that God is personal and displays his character in all of his actions. As we come to know God in and through his actions and his word, God is described as possessing certain characteristics and and attributes. We're going to see those as we come through this study. They're descriptors. They're descriptions so that we can understand as a human in our human brain can understand an an infallible God, an immeasurable God. Okay. However, we also have confidence, okay? The descriptors are held with a high degree of humility because we recognize that there's an infinite distance between God as creator and ourself as the creation, okay? There are people who will take this too far and they'll say because we have these characteristics, then, then we're little gods, right, that we're just, we're not images of gods, but God is just reproducing himself over and over and over again. That's that's not true. We are created. We're not the creator. So there is an infinite distance. There is a distance between God as creator and ourselves as creation, but we do have confidence in those descriptions since God has chosen to disclose his identity and purpose to us across the scriptures in ways that we may not even be able to fully understand. Think about when you meet somebody for the first time. Our mind goes to work, right? You meet this person, whether it be a man or a woman, they're a complete stranger to you. They give you some information, right? If you're just having a conversation, a lot of things, hey, my name is Scott. What's your name? They give a name. How do we know that that's their name? Right? We're relying on their information to be accurate, right? What's your name? How old are you? What do you do for a living? Where do you live? All of these questions that we can ask, they can give answers. But they're strangers to us. We have no idea who they are, where they come from, what they do for a living, right? I could say my name's Richard Scott Rambo. I'm 34 years old. I live on 25 Big Island Loop. I work for the water department. But if you don't know me, you have to take me at face value, right? And as you get to know me, then that information that was given starts to line up, or it doesn't, right? And then you realize, okay, well, maybe I got a stalker on my hands, or maybe this person is really who they say that they are, because as you talk to me and as you get to know me, right, eventually... I'm probably going to show up in a uniform, right? Oh, he said he works for the water department and there's a water department uniform, right? You're going to hang around me long enough. Somebody else is going to walk up and call me by my name. 
right? Same thing is happening here. This is why we have the Bible. It is to disclose to us who our creator is. He hasn't left this a mystery. And we can have confidence in this because God doesn't lie, right? We'll see all of that. Across the Old Testament, the names of God give very strong clues to God's nature. There's a lot of names for God, right? Yahweh, I am that I am. There's uh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, all of these names that are ascribed to God because God can't be held down by one name. But what we have is the descriptors of who God is. Each name, when you put them all together like a little jigsaw puzzle, we get the God of this universe. These names often signify both the otherness, that is the transcendence of God, the fact that he is above us, right? That there is so much distance between creation and the creator that we can never ascend to him. There is no way that any part of his creation can ever leave its place and go to where God is. Think of all the rockets we've shot into space, all the telescopes. We're, we are forever looking for the end of the universe. You know what we haven't found? Heaven. It's, we haven't found the end of this thing yet. We've found new stars. We've found new planets. We've, we've shot, think how crazy this is. Our puny little human race has shot space junk outside of the Milky Way right, where we was expecting to find something and we had no idea what we found, but then all of a sudden there's billions of other galaxies. We're not the only galaxy in the universe. This isn't the universe. And that has to be scary for some of these scientists to know you don't know nothing, right? But And they have a lot of different answers of why we're doing that. We're looking for other people. We're All of these different answers, but what they're really trying to find is God because that's what the Bible says, that there is something inside of us that says there is a creator, whether you want to admit it or not. And we are built to know that creator. And it eats us apart if we don't know, right? So they may be saying they're looking for the next Earth-like planet, but what they're really looking for is the one who made this one. Right. And all they need to do is have the ability to read and they could know this creator. They can have eternal life. Not only can they know this creator, but they can meet him one day. Right. We can look at these descriptors and we can see his transcendence, but also his nearness. So God is creator is above and beyond his creation. But also, God as Savior is near to his creation. He didn't just set us out on this blue marble and, and he just looks at us as we go by. He, he is involved in his people. God could be known by his name, but his names are unlikely any other Name, God's character is manifest in all directions at once. 
He's not just God the Creator, right? He's God Savior. He's God everything, and He's all of these things at once. We're going to pick apart these attributes, but when we're talking about God's love, you can't pick apart God's love and God's wrath, right? He's, he's everything at once at all times. This is really going to look cool whenever we look and to see what Christ did, right? When it said he lowered himself, that he condescend, that he set aside some of these divine attributes, never losing them, but choosing not to use them and dwelt with his people. A transcendent God, creator God, condescended, that's what that Greek word means, that he lowered himself and became near to his people, so near that he took on flesh and he walked with men. The same God, right? That's what we believe, a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. He didn't stop being God when he was Christ walking on earth. That's the reason that any of this matters. He never lost his godship, but he set aside, the Bible says, his glory. Right? We just read in John 17, he prayed to his father, Father, it's time. It's, the hour is here. Glorify me again. In other words, give me back what I have, what I have set aside. Right? Never losing. You can't lose something if you set it aside. Right? If Richard Paul doesn't soon start listening, he's going to lose some things. Right? He's going to lose some privileges. He's going to lose some of his stuff that he loves. I'm going to take that from him. Right? In other words, he can't get it back until I give it to him. But if for some reason he decided to take his tablet and just set it aside for a moment, right? he can go pick that up at any time that he wants. Right? So it's the same thing we see with God the Son, when He lowers Himself, God doesn't take attributes away from Himself because He would cease to be God. You can't do that, but you can set aside for a season, choose not to use, right? Where He was still compassionate, He was still full of mercy, He was still all of these things, He chose, like the Word says, to not know everything all the time. Right? Somebody asked him, when, you know, when, when are you going to come back? And he said, only the Father knows that. Right? Was Christ saying that he didn't know everything? For that moment, he chose not to know that. Right? He chose to not be able to be everywhere at once. He was in a fixed position, just like we are. He walked like us. The only difference is, <laughs> in his death, he picked it back up. Right. He, he was resurrected. He come back to life. And when he come back, the word says that the, the women who cared for him the most, they didn't even know who he was till he revealed himself to them. Right. They had no idea. The two walking down the road, he just starts walking alongside of them. These are disciples. These aren't strangers. These are part of the 500. They're they're going right to, to tell people that this our savior is risen. Right? They're, they're going and they walk all day long talking and he's ex expounding unto them the scriptures and they pull him aside and say, come eat with us. And it isn't until he reveals himself to them that they're like, oh, 
oh, we've been with the Savior this whole time. And then he just disappears and he goes on. He's, he's different when he's resurrected. He's glorified, right? He has all of his attributes at his will at all times. As a result of this distinction, we uh, distinguish between communicable and incommunicable attributes. There are some things that we will never be like God, right? His, cre- his creatures just will never be like Him. But there are those who, uh, who will be. There are characteristics that we do have. And, and those, here's an example, divine compassion, right? It's a communicable attribute. It's an attribute that we have. The, the divine compassion of God uh, is a communicable attribute because it is a characteristics that humans share, right? We don't have divine compassion, but we can be compassionate. We share in these attributes, Though human compassion, in some sense, pales in comparison to God's compassion. On the other hand, God's immutability, that is, that God never changes, right, is not a characteristic that we share. Humans change all the time, right? Just look at a picture from 10 years ago and compare it to the face that's in the mirror. You've changed. Right? We change all the time. We change positions. We change uh, ideals. We change. We change all of the time. We do not share in a in a characteristic that never changes. God does not change. In this regard, it's an attribute that we cannot contribute to ourselves. But what hope do we have in a God who never? changes, right? That's why we can read a book from thousands of years ago and those promises still hold true to today because his yes is yes and his nay is nay, right? And what he has said is in written in stone. But then we have the communicable attributes, the attributes that we do contribute to ourselves. They serve as reminders that as different as God is from the world, God has created humans to reflect Him in respects. Humans are images of God as uh, the opening uh, chapter of the Bible reminds us. That's Genesis chapter 1, right? Let us create man in our image, okay? He created a lot before He created man. He created trees. He created everything that we see, all the animals, all of that. But yet when He created man, he said, we're going to make this one different. They're not going to be like the beasts of the field. They're not going to be like the fowl of the air. They're not going to be like the fish of the sea. They're not going to be like the grass of the plain. They're going to be created in our image, right? That's why we have the ability to set aside even some of our own characteristics, right? I can be compassionate but yet let you wrong me in the wrong way. And I can set that aside, right? I can choose. Animals don't have a choice. I know they have a a characteristic of themselves. I'm not saying that they're not spirited, but they work on instinct. They don't maul you to death at night because they know you're going to feed them tomorrow, right? Animals are different than 
humans. We choose what attribute or what characteristic to use. Animals don't have self-control. They work off of instinct. If you don't believe me, go try and pet a bear. They, they don't choose, right? They assess a threat and they go to work, right? But yet, I, let me meet a stranger and my first instinct isn't to punch that dude in the face, right? I assess and I choose out of everything that I have what to express, right? And a good, a good human puts a hand out, shakes his hand, and listens, right? We're made different. But that's because that's the way God made us. He chose to make us images of himself. Reflections. God stamps his human creatures with an imprint of many of his own characteristics. This is what drives us to God, right? You look in the world and we don't fit in. And we look to God and we start to understand and we start to see, hey, I I have a lot in common with this God, right? I look to the world and I don't want to have anything to do with that. I look to God and it's comforting because we're images of Him. We relate to God because God is personable. He's personal. In, In some sense, similar to the manner in which We ourselves are personal. That's a characteristic in itself. You can call yourself a loner. You can say that you like to be alone, but nobody likes complete isolation, right? We all have those levels of don't touch me, right? (laughs) Others don't have levels at all. They, They like to be in your bubble, but nobody likes to be alone forever. Maybe I I wouldn't like that. You put me on a desert island by myself, I'm going to go crazy, right? I'm going to be like Castaway. I'm going to make a Wilson. I got to talk to somebody, okay? I'm going to be talking to a coconut if you find me. I I have to have communication, right? Other people, they may be perfectly fine. They may be fine. God's made all types. I feel like I overstepped there. Some people like to be alone, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're not built to be alone. You may not have to have people around you, but you need communication with your Creator. You need relationship with your God. We relate. Our ability to love is a dim reflection of the all-consuming love of God. Right? We know in part while God knows everything. Okay, so you see the you see the communication here, but it is not it is not in fullness. Humans possess a, a, a moral nature rooted and grounded in the one who is perfectly moral, but yet we're not perfectly moral. All of these human characteristics are related by analogy to the very character of God. That's why we can go into James chapter one and see that it's every good gift comes from the Father. Of lights, and we like to take that and and roll it into the spiritual gifts. And he's he's speaking of that, but it's literally every good thing in your life. You love people because God loves, right? You show mercy. You are are happy. You have happiness, right? Because God has made us that way. 
And then when we look at the divine attributes across the Bible, we start to see this come together. While the communicable and incommunicable distinctions happen, uh, helps us to get a handle on the way in which humans are alike and not alike God, it, it still doesn't do full justice in the way in which God reveals himself across the scriptures. If we just scan the Bible, uh, the most uh, prominent descriptions of God focus on his glory, his holiness, his lordship, and his love. All of these attributes fall under those categories. His glory, his holiness, his lordship, and his love. So we look at God's glory. It's a, a reference to the visible manifestation of God as God. So when they made the tabernacle in the wilderness, they built the ark. God said, you're going to set all of these things up. You're going to have the showbread. You're going to have the incense. You're going to have the altars. You're going to have the ark, the holy of holies. You're going to set all of this up. And when you do everything that I've told you to do, I'm going to come down. And does anybody know what that was called? The Shekinah glory, right? It was the cloud. He come in the form of a cloud. Think of Moses before that and the burning bush. When you look into the original text, that is described as God's Shekinah glory. It was a bush that was consumed with fire, but yet it wasn't fire. So what was that? That was an invisible God manifesting himself in creation. That was the glory of God. Why did that burning bush tell a man to take your shoes off, right? You're on what? Holy ground. That's because God was there. Anybody could look at that tabernacle and see the cloud that was hovering over top, right? A pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. That's the Shekinah glory. How horrifying as a person who knows if I can see a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God is with us. Whenever they fell into idolatry and God lifted his hand from them and you looked at that tabernacle and you didn't see that cloud there. Or that fire there. How horrifying would that have been? A physical or a manifestation of God's glory. His holiness it's of God reflects both God's moral purity and his absolute moral distance from the holy or, or the whole of the world, the fallen world. God is the ground of all. Morality. God is absolute good. He is pure. He is righteous and just in his very nature. So the glory of God, we can dilute that down into a definition as God's manifestation into this physical world. God's holiness is the fact that he is above and beyond and no one can touch it. He is holy. Right. The lordship of God points to uh, the incannable ways in which God experiences or uh, exercises his power and authority over creation. We can see that even in our own lives, whether we're saved or unsaved. Right. We talked about that not too long ago. I get in my vehicle. There's no reason for it to not start. 
I try and start it and it doesn't. And, and I find out later on that there was a wreck that I would have been in the middle of, right? God's lordship over his creations. Proverbs says, I plan my ways, but God establishes my steps, right? We make plans and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But sometimes those plans are altered because God has lordship over his creation. The sun rises, the moon sets, but yet we find one time where the sun stood still. God has lordship over his creation. There's no reason for a sea to split, but yet it does because God has lordship over his creation. And God's love is inseparable from any of these characteristics. Any of these characteristics come out of God's love for his creation. There is no other reason why we should know anything about our Creator. He did not have to tell us one thing about Himself. He is still holy. He's still full of glory. He is still Lord over all. He is still full of love. But out of that love, we get a book that tells us of this love. What good is it to love somebody if you never tell them? Right? It would have done me no good to date that little lady forever and never tell her I love her. We wouldn't last very long, right? Especially knowing her now, she needs to be told that I love her and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? I could tell her all day, every day, every time I talk to her and it'll never be enough. Not that she needs not that she's saying, oh, I don't think he loves me. I just hope that he would text me and say that. That's not what I'm saying. But she likes the affirmation, right? She just likes being told that her husband loves her. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. God wants to tell his people that he loves them, right? God's love is inseparable from any of his characteristics. It is not the case that sometimes God is holy and other times God is love, nor is it that sometimes God is just and other times God is merciful. God's love runs throughout all of what God is and what he does. His love is not merely an emotion. It is what he is. Okay. So as we wrap this introduction up, we know God is the loving Lord, because he has acted this way towards his covenant people, right? How do we know that God loves us? Because he went to the cross for us, right? He took upon him our sins. He made recompense to the Father, and then he rose again on the third day. And then he went to sit at the right hand of the Father, and it's, he would have been perfectly okay just not doing anything else. He did what the Father asked, but yet he continues to manifest his love towards us, that he, he prays for us daily, right? He didn't do like some of us that, you know, I may come up to 
Richard Paul or somebody and say, can, can you go get the trash out of the yard? And they'll, they'll go get the trash out of the yard, right? And they'll sling the bag and then they'll go back to doing what they were, what they were doing, right? They wasn't really, the heart wasn't really in doing the chore. It may have got done. That is not what, what our Lord did. He willingly condescended. He willingly gave up his divine attributes. He willingly set aside his glory for a horrible life. If you follow the life of Christ, it wasn't, it wasn't glorious here. He didn't even he didn't have a home. He didn't have a bed. He was homeless. He was hated by just about everybody that he talked to. There's 500 people in Galilee. There's 120 in Jerusalem. He talked to thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Just a few years after the death of Christ, it is recorded that there was 2.7 million Jews in Jerusalem for Passover. He talked to a lot of people, and there's 620 that follow him. That's not a good reputation, right? And the world's standards, Christ failed. But he didn't. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. God's people are to reflect these traits in their own lives and, and communities because it's a covenant relationship. We've been called in to this thing. They are to treasure the holiness of God while reckoning with their own unholiness, right? At the closer we get to God, the more we are revealed, and it's a terror sometimes to see what we see. God is Lord of history. He's Lord of our lives. God's people love because He first loved us, the Bible says. In each of these ways, the divine attributes manifest in Scripture. They serve as a powerful reminder that the God of the universe is both radically different from us. So this is this is this is our stance, right? This is our foundation of what we build off of from here. God is radically different from us in so much that we will never be like him, but also at the same time he is radically committed to us in so much that we reflect him. Does that make sense? We will never become God doesn't matter how close you get to him, how much you know about him. We don't believe like the Mormons believe that if you are a, a good enough, a good enough person and you do enough that you get your own planet and you become God. That's what they believe the God of the universe is, that he was a human at one time. And he transcended into what we worship as God and earth is his planet. And that's what's going to happen if 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 you're good enough, that's not what we are to aspire to be. You will never be God. But you are what he is committed to. And that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. I don't want to be God. I just want to be as close as I can be to him. Right. That's what we see when we go into Revelation. Where is all of his people but at his feet? surrounding him and his throne and worshiping him. We are not on the throne, but we're there. 
were there. We're reflections of His glory. We'll never be glorious. We'll be glorified, but we're never glorious. We merely reflect the light that the Bible says comes out of Him. Amen? Let's stand. Scripture serves as a powerful reminder that the God of the universe is both radically different from us and also radically committed to us. Amen. Lord, we thank you tonight for the ability to learn of you, oh God. Lord, help us to keep ourselves where we should be, Lord, and to exalt you to where you should be in our lives, Lord. Let you be center of our lives, Lord, over us, O oh God, as we glorify you. Lord, as we learn of your characteristics, help us, O oh God, to see those characteristics in, in our life, Lord, and to see where we're uh, maybe not where we should be. Lord, as we show compassion, help us to be more compassionate. As we show mercy, help us to be more merciful, Lord God. Lord, help us to be less like us and more like you. We ask this in your name. Amen.